Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by StoryWorth, the company that makes it easy and fun for your loved ones to share their personal stories with those they care most about every week and at the end of the year, get them compiled into a beautiful hardcover book. I'll be back after our second story tonight to tell you a little more about StoryWorth and how they can help those of you celebrating Father's Day this year Strengthen your bond with your dads as you get to know them better than ever with the most personal gift of all. Plus, they've got a special offer for those of you in our listening audience. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show is about to begin. (laughs) It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about sinister sights, unusual abductions, 
and spectral saviors. I'm Steve Taylor. Tonight, I'll be your host as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice actors Erica Garafa, Eden, and Nikolai Porter, with a cameo appearance by Heather Thomas. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight is brought to us courtesy of author Isis Issa and is voiced by Eden. In the story, our protagonist comes face to face with something out of this world that just won't stop looking at her. The question is, of course, what for? <laughs> Without further ado, I present to you Four Hours It Stared. For me, life was a whirlwind of lights and smoke, music and men. I lived in a beaten-up shanty close to North Edza, crammed in a closet-like room with a bunch of other women. We slept on mats in the dirt floor and shared the space with mange-infested dogs, flea-bitten cats, and cockroaches. My wardrobe consisted mostly of skimpy skirts, tank tops, and the cheapest high heels you can buy in Cuiapo. After a hard night at the bars of dancing and exposing myself, sometimes spending time in a back room with a heavily drunken man and my eyes like a dead fish staring at the ceiling, I earned enough cash to go to the Ukai Ukai thrift shop. The weather in Manila had become chilly at night, and I needed a sweater. I took a walk down a few streets that smelled of garbage and human urine mixed with the smog from jeepneys, tricycles, and trucks that never ended. It wasn't long before I found a street lined with second-hand clothes, undoubtedly from American charities, but somehow grabbed by greedy merchants looking to make extra pesos. The sweater was like a pearl in murky waters as it lay neatly on top of a bunch of tattered, motley clothes. Wondering how someone had not yet bought it, I quickly took it in my hands and studied the richness of the fabric. It was as soft as a rabbit's fur, and just as warm. Across its front was a large pouch where you could put your hands into it for warmth, and that's where I found the note on a crumpled piece of yellow paper. It smelled like the section of a library where ancient books could be found. Dust and dank. On the paper were scrawled the words, Where? 67th Banwi Street. Pay? 1,000 pesos a night. Job? Lie on the bed from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. Keep your eyes shut. Never open them. Past three, your money will be on the dresser. Banui Street. The note did not say which city, but I recalled the name of a street in Kazan that one of my roommates used to visit for a client. It was where the more upper-class people lived. I stuffed the note in my pocket and paid the merchant. Only 30 pesos. Not bad. The sweater was wonderful on my skin and made me glow like a snowflake, 
I felt like one of those young starlets on our local Capamilia TV network. And in my pocket was the promise of an easy, high-paying job. Those came so rarely. I must admit that, even if the job seemed sketchy, the promise of a thousand pesos a night was tempting. I could get myself out of my situation, maybe go to college, find a real job. After a lot of asking and searching, I found the house that night. 67th Bonwe Street was in desolate condition, even if it was in an upper-class neighborhood. A single-story house surrounded by a short wire fence. Yard unkempt, weeds stuck up like tousled hair. Boards molded, loose, shingles chipped, paint faded. Windows cloaked with dust. Still, it was a hundred times better than the shanty I slept in. The light of the patio was on as I approached, and when I knocked, the door opened as if ajar. I called hello. No answer. The interior smelled aged and sour like wet laundry left in the wash for days. I stepped inside, leaving the door slightly open so the light from the patio can illuminate my way. The floor felt as if it might give way beneath my weight. I felt the walls pressing in on me, heavy and damp. The place reminded me of a body they had found in the sewage canal close to where I lived. Bloated and bruised, deteriorated. I passed the dark living room, there was a TV, a battered couch, a coffee table with an ashtray and some empty cans. The room reeked of cat urine and dried feces. No one was there. I attempted to turn on some light switches but found them useless. I turned away and headed down a hallway, noticing a pale light glowing beneath the closed door. I called again. Absolute silence. I clasped the handle and pushed ignoring the greasy residue it left on my palm. I found a single bed covered in drab sheets, one dresser beside it with a digital clock. It illuminated the time strongly through the darkness. 10.50 p.m. Feeling disturbed, I might have turned away. The house was empty, I admit. I thought the job was just going to be another man looking for a quick fix, but now I was curious. It didn't seem that way and the uncertainty of it unnerved me. But still, 1,000 pesos was too good to pass. I needed to find out if it were true. I lay on the bed with the note in my hands, facing the glow of the clock. 10.54. I listened. The house made no sound, muffled as if a hand lay over it. I felt afraid but excited. 10.56. My heart throbbed from my chest, through my throat, in my head. I imagined the ticking of a clock tried to match my heart with its beat. 10.59. I shut my eyes. Waited. 11 came. I knew with my eyes closed because the change in the atmosphere was immediate. I was not alone. My eyes were shut, yet I felt it, so close to my face. The minute hairs on my forehead tingled, it breathed, tight, stressed, as if forced to breathe only from its nose. 
I felt the air warm the area just above my lip. I smelled it. A sour smell like pickled gums. And there was something else. Pungent. Thick. Sweet. The smell of blood. I resisted the urge to gag. Seconds turned to minutes and still the presence lingered against my face. My body suffered paralyzed with fear. I felt every strained breath in, out, slow, afraid. I felt the slightest itch on my body, prickles against my legs, bites of my thighs, behind my back and neck, sweat creeping, crawling, brushing upturned hairs and begging me to scratch and move. I didn't. Bones ached, muscles wept, my heart. My heart struggled like a sparrow caught in someone's hands. The presence continued its steady closeness to my face. My forehead glittered with sweat and now began to throb. My nose prickled, twitched. I wondered if it saw that. Even my eyelids sweated, my eyes behind them stiff shot, scared, hiding behind lids like frightened children in a closet. The smell relented. My lungs resisted its entry, asking for me to turn my head away, escape from such a foul smell, yet I could not. Every part of my body was frozen so long as the thing stared into my face. Never opened them. My hands still clutched the note. As long as I kept my eyes closed, I thought, nothing could happen to me. I analyzed the letter in my mind repeated those three words, never open them. Again, ten times, uncountable times, stealing myself to start my next move, my first move. I breathed, a long inhale, sourness and the sticky, sickly smell of blood swamped my lungs. I gagged, coughed, and then I turned. I turned away into the bed, curled myself fetal-like, eyes clamped shut like vices, and when I relaxed, I felt it. Still there, a hair's width away from my face. It was hovering, floating. How could the thing have moved with me? I did not feel any weight on the bed during the transition, any sign to suggest that it had crawled over me, moved beside me, refocused itself against my face. I allowed a few minutes to pass before I tried again. I moved slowly, deliberately, sensing it against my face. And it moved with mine, smoothly, soundlessly, until I was completely on my back. My face, eyes shut, staring straight up, the thing looking down upon me, relentlessly, I grimaced, knit my brows, sweated. I wanted to bat at it, but I could not. I was too afraid. All I could clutch onto was the promise that this could end. I waited. Ate. Sweated, prayed. It stayed with me. Always there. I could not sleep. 3 a.m. The digital clock alarmed, and just like that, I was released. The thing that had looked on at my face for four hours was gone. 
I did not immediately open my eyes. I waited until the sweat on my brows became cold and dry. I listened to my body unlock one by one, like a warden walking through a prison, releasing the prisoners cell by cell. I could breathe again. My heart pumped bold and strong. I felt my fingers, the warmth on my skin. I yearned to stretch and let life sizzle through every part of me. I opened my eyes. 1,000 pesos lay on the dresser. 1,000 pesos for the horror I had endured. I took it and did not look back as I left. A week had passed since the night I spent there. Although my money was gone now, spent over things I can't even remember, the memories from that night had not. Not a moment went by where I wasn't thinking of the thing that had breathed so close to my face. Could I have been imagining it? Perhaps my fears had been so strong, my mind had created something to justify it. But my senses could not have been tricking me. I smelled it blood and sour, rank. I felt it, warm breath on my face. Who had left the money? What was the presence I felt? And the question that caused me the most dread, what would have happened if I had opened my eyes? My return to the house was no longer just for money, but answers. The evening I returned, I noticed that nothing had changed. The only difference from the first time I had been there were the bed sheets, still crumbled from my use. The effervescent light from the clock was resolute, like a statue's stern gaze, almost punishing as I lay on the bed. Just a few seconds before 11 p.m., I shut my eyes. The thing appeared close to my face exactly on the second. This time my fears were replaced by a studious curiosity. I noticed that right before it arrived, I did not sense anyone walk into the room. Its appearance was fluid, soundless, as if it had materialized from thin air. The thick smell of blood and sourness were consistent with the first time. I turned my head slowly left and right, and every movement was mirrored perfectly by it. Like studying yourself in a mirror, your reflection so close to your face you could fog it with the breath from your nostrils. I dared to do the one thing I had not the last night I was here. I brought my hands up to my face, cautiously, feeling my bones creak beneath the tense muscle and cold skin, the sweat building on my frightened palms and fingers. As my hands reached close, they stopped, protested, hesitated, my heart banged like wild mice in a cage. I grimaced, summoning all my courage, eyes sweating behind the lids, temples pounding. My hands moved again. The unseen presence continued its breathing, steady and undaunted, unmoving. My fingers touched something. I stopped. Every part of my body froze. I could not breathe. The blood on my face swelled as I choked on fear. The breathing from the thing changed. It grew raspy, excited. Its putrid breath hit my face more powerfully. I could not tell my fingers to move. They stayed where they were, paralyzed, touching it. The length of time that passed after I could not recall, 
my mind too swamped in fear. All I could remember was that at last, the lockdown of my mind had subsided enough for my fingers to try and comprehend what it was touching. Hair. Sticky and cold. My heart banged, my fingers moved slightly. I felt the firmness of a scalp beneath the hair. The thing continued to breathe as if enthused. Somehow I had managed to detach myself from the paralyzing terror of my body, and now I was moving my fingers like a puppeteer would to his marionette. They followed the curve of the scalp, lowered until I felt skin. The skin felt torn and jagged, and the sticky fluid was thicker there. My fingers passed the broken skin, and now I was palpitating what felt like flesh. The flesh of chopped beef parts in the market. Sticky and soft. I lowered my hands. My heart thumped so hard I thought I might die of heart failure. I was too scared to continue the investigation. It felt like... Like I had been touching a severed head. 3 a.m. Again, I waited until I was relaxed enough before opening my eyes. Like before, 1,000 pesos lay neatly on the dresser. My hands, still paralyzed from what they had felt earlier, were clean. I thought they might have been soaked in blood, but there was nothing. I ran from the house, terrified. Perhaps a ghost was haunting the building, and I promised never to return, no matter how much I needed the money. But that was a month ago. My roommates and I had taken a turn for the worse. Town officials were cracking down on businesses like the one we worked at and required to show proof that we were tested just to make sure we weren't spreading any diseases. But lab tests require money. The bar managers I worked for were snapping up only those girls who could give him the negative test quickly, and space was limited. In spite of the fears I felt, the promises I had made to never return, the need for money was greater. After all, had nothing bad ever happened to me while I was there? 11 p.m. The demonic presence returned. I grimaced my eyes, tight, determined not to let it scare me. I told myself the job was easy. Keep my eyes closed from 11 to 3, and I'll be paid handsomely. I suppose... I had gotten used to its presence. For only a few hours into the night, I found myself fighting the urge to sleep. The rhythm of its breathing lulled me. In, out, in, out. Its sour, fetid breath mixed with the sickly sweet smell of blood perfuming me to sleep. I tried hard to fight it, I failed, and soon sleep's heavy hand had successfully pressed down on my weary mind. The girl in my dream was pretty. Slim body, short, hair long and straight, as dark as the skies in the province. Eyes deep and shadowy, she watched me as I slept. So close to my face, I could place a hand to her cheek and ask why she was there. Leave, she whispered. Leave. 
Her face grew distorted, and then she started making choking, gagging sounds. I sat up with horror and watched her skin turn to a ghastly blue. Her eyes bulged and turned red. She was trying to scream, say something, but all I could hear were the hoarse, ragged breathing sounds that watched me. Watched me as I... And I was awake. By some miraculous reason, I had not opened my eyes, but the room was filled with the same choking, gasping noises I had heard in my dream. The floor shook as if there were some violent commotion happening in the room with me, and then... Silence. Only my beating heart banged in my ears. Still, I did not open my eyes. Not now. Not until I could hear the alarm so I could safely take the money and leave. But it did not end there. The next sound I heard sickened me more than anything I had ever experienced. A rhythmic, moist sound, like someone carving flesh with a saw. And then dripping. A thump as something heavy hit the floor. I heard footsteps heavy and slow headed my way. Every inch of my body screamed to open my eyes. Run! I was shaking, sweating, so fear-stricken like a bellowing animal held upside down before its throat was slit. The footsteps kept coming. Breathe. Breathe. I couldn't. I needed to run. But I couldn't. I was afraid. I lasted far too long keeping my eyes closed. I couldn't open them, no matter how insane it sounded. The footsteps stopped. Right next to the bed I lay on. The thing was once more close to my face, breathing, gasping. It felt like my muscles would snap under the tension. My fear was like a thousand knives angled toward my body. The slightest move threatening to kill me. Minutes stretched on, slowly, cruelly. I wanted out, out of everything. The room, the need for money, the nights with strangers in terror of it all. Call girl, I wanted out, out. And then, a blessing like the sun after a typhoon. The sound of the alarm clock. 3 a.m. I opened my eyes and found myself in an empty room. There was nothing there. Nothing on the floor where I had heard someone screaming their body being carved. The money on the dresser, but it didn't matter. I didn't even grab it. I fled out of the house like a beaten dog. I could not sleep for the rest of the night. The next morning, I sought out some answers to the house I had been visiting. The town captain believed my story that I was sent by a wealthy family to find out if the house was for sale and check if there was any history behind it. Years ago, a wealthy man once lived there. He was quiet and kept to himself, seemed to cause no harm to anyone. Every once in a while, he took in a call girl to keep him company for the night. But many men did the same. Not much to be suspicious about. Until the neighbors smelled something foul coming from his home. They found him in his room with the headless body of a girl on the floor. Who knows how long he had been there with the body. Maybe days. He was standing still, like an upright coffin. And in his outstretched hand was the girl's head. He wouldn't put it down, just held it out, so steady and still, his expression dead. They shot him right there. 
The captain opened a drawer and drew out a file. This is a photo of the girl they believe was killed. She was an orphan, only 16. Probably did what she did for the money. The other girls who worked with her said she had been with the man two other times. It was on the third night when he killed her. Here, take it. She was the same girl from my dream. But what chilled me more and more was the sweater she wore in the photo. White and soft. The same one I had found in the second-hand store with the note in the pocket. I think the captain, barely able to let out the words. When I returned to my shanty later that day, I discovered that the white sweater had disappeared from my closet, and so did the note. When I asked my roommates if they had seen or taken it, all I got was the answer, no. I gave up working as a call girl and found a job as a caregiver for an elderly couple. Although the work was hard and slow, I persisted and saved up enough money to start college. Sometimes I passed by the thrift store where I had found the white sweater with the cursed note. I remember the three nights I had spent with the dark presence and how insane I had been, returning even after so much fear. For money, for curiosity. That's what a call girl's life did to you. You become jaded to the dangers you repeatedly put yourself into. Sleeping with strangers, potential murderers, returning for the money and the thrill of it. I tried to stuff the memories into the dark cracks of my mind. Forget it. But still I wondered, what if I had opened my eyes? A few years later, I came upon an article in the news. A small one among a few other murders. They always wrote these stories with such detail, and my blood curdled. The body of a call girl had been found, her head severed. The girl's eyes were wide open. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Four Hours It Stared by author Isis Issa and performed by Eden. Up next, we transition from horrors at home to terror in a far more exotic locale. The inside of an inescapable chamber where two strangers meet under the most unusual of circumstances. 
and we discover how their perhaps not-so-random encounter changes both of them forever. From an anonymous author, as brought to life by voice actor Nikolai Porter and featuring Heather Thomas, I present to you Thumps. It's funny how things work. We have giant metal vehicles that fly through the air. We have HD video that you can carry in your pocket. We have music that can be accessed anytime from devices that use touchscreens. But when something like this happens, something so stupid, something so simple, there's nothing to be done. Nothing that can be done, even with our advances. I woke up three weeks ago in this place. It's a medium-sized room with concrete walls, floor, and ceiling. In spots, the concrete is stained and cracked. A single light bulb hangs from the ceiling, and sometimes it flickers. It's not a very powerful bulb, but enough to see by. I woke up next to a woman. I didn't recognize her, but that didn't matter. I didn't know where I was. I didn't even know how I'd gotten here. There didn't seem to be any doors or windows or openings of any kind, just a concrete box with me and a sleeping woman in it. I woke her up after a few moments of dazed confusion. She didn't scream, which was my worry, and instead asked questions calmly. Where are we? She asked. I don't know. How did I get here? I don't know. Who are you? I smiled. Finally, a question I could answer. I'm Tom, I said. Tom Gable. I woke up here just a minute ago, and I was hoping you'd have an idea about it. But since you don't, well, we may as well get acquainted. You know my name. What's yours? I stuck out my hand. She shook my hand. I'm Melissa. She replied. Melissa Dobbs. Last I remember, I was... She froze and creased her eyebrows. Did you hear that? I listened, but didn't hear anything. I shook my head. What was it? I asked. It sounded like... I don't know. A thump. We sat in silence for a few minutes, listening for another noise. There was nothing but silence as long as we sat there. After so long, I just shook my head. I don't think there's anything there, Melissa, I said. But if you did hear a sound, that means we're close to the surface. The surface? She repeated. What do you mean, the surface? Well, the way I figure, we're probably underground. Where else would someone keep a concrete box? Another thing I'm wondering is how they even got us in here. It all seems like a dream, you know? I sighed and leaned my back against the wall. This couldn't be happening, not really. I know what you mean, Melissa said. It just doesn't seem real. This doesn't just happen. This can't just happen. I... This time I heard the noise too. It was like a thump, but a squishy thump. Like if you hit an animal with a heavy object. Images of bleeding animals flashed in my mind. Pictures of infants being hit with hammers and baseball bats. I almost jumped I was so surprised. Why would I think that? That wasn't normal. None of this was normal. This place and that sound and these thoughts. None of this was right. Did you? Yeah, I heard it. I interrupted Melissa. I started to ask if she saw things, but she would think I was crazy. Being here was making me a little stressed, sure, but crazy? No, no. And I wouldn't let her think that. Melissa and I spent the rest of the day discussing the situation and listening for the noises. It seems they came at regular intervals, once every ten minutes or so. I thought maybe we were near an automatic machine. 
Sometimes when they came, I would have flashes of terrible things. It was disgusting and wrong, but it happened. I couldn't help it. I wondered if Melissa had the flashes, but I didn't dare ask her. If my only companion thought I was crazy, well, I didn't think it would end well. We had thought it was some sort of hostage taking it first. We thought we'd been taken captive by criminals. That's what we decided. It was a normal assumption. About 30 thumps into the day, though, our thoughts changed. We were hungry. If the thumps really were coming every 10 minutes, then 30 thumps meant we'd been awake for 5 hours. I could hear my stomach growling, and once I even heard Melissa's. We were thirsty more, though. My throat was sore and dry, but we had no water or food. We were talking about what we'd do when we got out of this box when it happened. The interviews and books and maybe even movies that would come. We could both get rich off this. We tried to remain positive like that. Suddenly, everything went black. It felt like only a second, and I didn't realize my eyes had closed until I opened them. Melissa and I woke up at the same time. We were confused. Somehow, we'd blacked out at the same time, woken up at the same time, and... Food. Melissa whispered. There's food and water. She was staring into a corner of the room, where before there had been nothing, but now there were two trays of food and water on them. My stomach rumbled, and I didn't care where they had come from or how we'd blacked out. Let's eat, I said, grabbing our trays. We can talk about it in a few thumbs. Melissa actually laughed. <laughs> Funny how the way we measure time can change just like that. She said, grabbing her food. But I guess it's just as good as minutes or hours. The food was good. Warm. Steak and potatoes. A scoop of ice cream for dessert. A liter bottle of water to drink. The steak was pre-cut for us, so no knives. The forks we were given were dull, very dull. No way we could hurt anyone with them. Not that we would be able to regardless, since it seemed they could induce a loss of consciousness whenever they wanted to. I got the feeling that once we were done eating, we'd just black out again, and the forks and trays would be gone. We ate in silence, and then my guess was confirmed. We lost our trays and our forks, and again we were just in an empty concrete box. We never actually talked about it. We kept busy talking about other things. After another fifty or so thumps, we went to sleep. It was hard to sleep at first with the thumps, but as with anything, you grow accustomed to it. You grow accustomed to the thumps and the flashes and the blackouts, just as people grow accustomed to planes and phones and iPods. This is adaptation. This is evolution. I don't know how long we slept, but every day there seemed to be less time in between each thump. Each day, though, the food seemed to get a little better. The first day's food was good, but it seemed bland. Each day the food tasted better, as if a reward for losing time between thumps. This is conditioning. By day 10, there was barely any time between thumps. The food was delicious, we couldn't get enough. Melissa and I got along well enough. We were becoming pretty big friends. And at around day 5, we started having sex. We didn't love each other, but we were both adults. We both wanted something to keep us busy and entertained. Why not sex? Day 12, though, things took a turn. They went bad. We were eagerly awaiting lunch. We were ready for the blackout, ready to delight in the delicious food we'd come to expect. We weren't thinking about escape. We weren't thinking about anything. Thumps, flashes, food. Thumps, flashes, food. The flashes had gotten worse. So much worse. The thumps came so fast now. The flashes were in my head all the time. Babies flayed open and dead. Dogs limbs severed and laying in pools of blood, cats with their eyes pulled out and their organs ripped from their abdomens, 
All just animals, dead animals. Their lives that had been so important before, now useless, now nothing, now just a heap of bloody regret. This is my future. This is the death of all. Thump. Darkness. When I awoke, I didn't smell food like I was used to. Melissa was already awake, crying. What's the matter? I asked her. Why are you awake already? I didn't fall asleep this time. She whispered. They... They came in straight through the wall. They were so hideous. They... They... She started to sob. Calm down, Melissa, I said. I went to her and put my arm around her. She latched onto me weakly. Tell me what happened. They don't have mouths, Tom. She cried. They're not human. But the thumps... The thumps come from their heads. We don't hear them with our ears, Tom. I never noticed before, but we hear them in our heads. Do you understand? They didn't bring food. They said that they'll keep bringing food from now on, but not today. They tried to tell me something else, but... But... They had to stop thumping to talk to me. And once the thumping was gone, I didn't hear. I didn't want to. I begged them to stop, to bring it back. They stopped talking. They left. This is necessary. I held Melissa until she stopped crying and fell asleep. I thought about the changes we had now. I was trying to comfort her, but all I could think about was the... The flashes had stopped. I hadn't realized it until that moment because I was so used to the flashes accompanying the thumps that I had given myself flashes, but they weren't coming anymore, not really. Something had changed since mealtime, and now it made me almost uncomfortable. I could understand Melissa panicking when the thumping stopped now, though I didn't think I would have freaked out that badly. Melissa was crying. I'm sorry, Tom. She mumbled, pushing her face into my chest. I could feel her tears seeping through my shirt. I should have been able to talk to them, but the thumps. It's so strange when they're gone. I'm used to them now. I understood. I understood perfectly. We spent the rest of that day solemnly, talking not about what we would do when we got out, but possibly how we could get out. Things weren't normal. The thought that we might get out was beyond us now. We accepted that. We could live like this, at least for a while. Then one day, maybe in a month or a year, we might use our forks to dig into our wrists. Do they have thumps in heaven or hell, or whatever lies beyond? We got food the next day. The thumps continued and the flashes remained silent. The food was better and life was good again. Melissa, though, she was shaken. Maybe it was seeing our captors that had her so on edge. Maybe they put something in her head. The flashes, I thought. Is it possible they left my head and went to hers? Crazy, but crazier things had happened here. Every day, Melissa got more nervous, more agitated. I couldn't understand. I tried to talk to her about it, but she wouldn't answer my questions. She just looked at me and shook her head. Nothing's wrong. She would say. I'm just tired. This is denial. It happened on day 20. We fell asleep, we woke up and ate our food, we went about things as usual. I didn't know. If I had, I would have done something. Suffering alone is 1,000 times worse than suffering with a friend. 
I was finishing my dessert, and Melissa did it quick as lightning. She stabbed herself hard in one wrist, then the other. Then she shoved it in her mouth. She jammed it in her throat, pulling and pushing and grinding it in there, trying desperately to kill herself to end it. One wrist was bright red, but it hadn't drawn blood. The other she'd stabbed harder, much harder, and it had holes in it. The holes were pretty deep, leaking, pouring blood. Blood was trickling out of her mouth, and when I threw my food down and reached out to stop her, she kicked me in the chest. I fell against the wall and she just kept stabbing, cutting, choking with a fork. I didn't even realize I was screaming. The thumps had joined together by this point, making constant noise, and it was hard to hear over. Eventually she slowed and tried to force the fork down her throat. She gagged and choked and retched, but it didn't come out. I got to her and pushed her arms away and reached in, but it was too far down at this point. Too far. My only companion, dying. She died quickly. Between the blood and the choking, I don't know what killed her. I didn't care. I cried the rest of that day. I felt like doing the same thing. I thought maybe I would the next day. Maybe I would join her again. At least I wouldn't be alone. The next day, however, didn't work out like that. I waited and waited. Eventually, the blackout came. I was eager to kill myself after a delightful meal. I just hoped I didn't mess it up. I'd hate to be half dead on the floor, pissing and shitting myself. Alone, for who knows how long. Fortunately, I didn't have the opportunity to mess it up. I woke up outside. It was dark. This wasn't right. No, I whispered. No one was in sight, but I could see the lights of a town in the distance. I was out. I'd made it out of my concrete prison. No. This is panic. This is change. I'm not ready for this. The thumps were gone, but things had changed. Adaptation. Conditioning. The thumps were gone. The flashes were back. Evolution. I wasn't used to the silence. It was driving me mad. The flashes didn't help. I knew what would make the flashes go away, though. The thumps. They would keep the flashes at bay, make me comfortable again. That was all I needed. And they'd been teaching me how to make the thumps. They'd been teaching me since day one. I just had to... I grimaced, not wanting to think about it. But I needed the thumps. What did I have to lose, anyway? My only companion was gone. I stood and headed for the town in the distance. I hope you enjoyed Thumps, as performed by Nikolai Porter and Heather Thomas. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale for you from author Melissa Phillips about how sometimes, just sometimes, home isn't always where your heart is. It can also be where your horror is. But first, I'd like to tell you a bit more about our experience with tonight's sponsor, StoryWorth, the ingenious company that makes it easier than ever to share your story with those special people in your life. The ones that aren't ending up as the subject of a fictional horror story. <laughs> and a special offer they've got for those of you listening in tonight, just in time for Father's Day. Here at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, storytelling is our job. And we've been doing this thing long enough to know that in every family, there's at least one family member who always tells the best stories. Like the one about the first neighborhood TV, or the boat trip across the Atlantic, or the hilarious college prank. Not only does StoryWorth preserve these narratives so future generations can enjoy them, 
but it also brings families together every week as they get to know each other better. And what's better than that? StoryWorth was founded by a guy who wanted his dad to record his amazing stories. The family enjoyed the process so much that they launched in April of 2013 so that families around the world can share in this gift as well. So you're probably wondering, how exactly does this StoryWorth thing work and how does it help me and my family get in on this storytelling action? Well, StoryWorth makes it easy and fun for your loved ones to share those stories that they've kept inside or undocumented all this time with weekly emailed story prompts, including questions you've never thought to ask. At the end of the year, they'll get their stories bound in a beautiful hardcover book. The process is designed to strengthen your family bonds and to help you get to know your loved ones in a whole new way. It works like this. First, you purchase a subscription for someone you love. Then, each week afterwards, StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. All they have to do is then reply to the email with their story. Simple as that. All stories are private, of course, and they're only shared with the members of your family that you choose. StoryWorth repeats this process every week for an entire year, then compiles the responses into a beautiful one-of-a-kind keepsake book, which ensures your loved one's tales will live on long after they're through telling them aloud. The book can be up to 480 pages. Wow, that's a lot of memories. And includes a full-color cover to help make the stories inside shine even brighter. For connecting with your family, there's no better way than StoryWorth this Father's Day. And it's a great way to stay in touch any other time of the year, too. Who knows? StoryWorth's lively discussion topics might help you uncover some tales you never would have thought to ask about, too. StoryWorth's questions often elicit entertaining and surprising responses. Sometimes the answers are moving, too, and help remind us just why we love one another so much in the first place. Participants can write stories and even upload photos to go with them by email, on the web, or in their user-friendly app. And once the stories are recorded, they're saved securely on StoryWorth.com. You can even edit them right there, too. Got someone you'd like to share the stories with other than you? No problem. You can invite an unlimited number of people to receive them. And with StoryWorth's built-in security features, you can be sure only those you choose get to enjoy the tales. Everything is private by default, and only you get to decide who sees the responses. I can't think of a more perfect gift, even at the last minute, for Father's Day this year. I had the opportunity to sign up for the service myself this past month, and I gotta say, what an incredible experience this has been. For those of us like me whose family is not always close by, StoryWorth is such a great way to bring us all together. And it's fun, too. The best part has got to be the questions StoryWorth starts us off with. They have several hundred to choose from, of course, and you can also write your own, which we did. But man, are their suggestions fantastic icebreakers. Two questions in mind that I have received so far is what kind of person was my dad? And that has given me a great opportunity to have some fabulous memories of my father, especially from when I was much younger. My dad was a kind of an enigma to me. He didn't talk a whole lot. He worked every day and worked shift work, so things always changed with my dad. And to be able to write these things down, document them, has been very important to me. Another question I got was, how did I get my first job? My first job was in an electronics wholesaler's storeroom. I began actually cleaning the thing up, but my knowledge at that time of some of the instruments and some of the electronics that we had impressed the owner enough to say, hey, look, you can actually sell this stuff. And so at the tender young age of 15, I began selling musical instruments. I don't get to tell that story to most people. Now, the answers to questions like these provide insight into the lives of those that matter most to you. 
that you might never have gotten without this unique service. The thing I like about it, it's a weekly email. You can either reply to the email and it saves it for you as part of your story, or you can go to the website, edit it. You can use their friendly app, which I find absolutely wonderful, and upload pictures to accommodate your story as well. I love that. My kids are going to love it because some of the stories that I've actually started working on, and you get to do this, you can actually work on them and perfect them the way that they should be, are stories my children have not heard me tell. It's a great opportunity. And now, thanks to StoryWorth, there's no better time to get your friends and family started sharing their stories. They're making it easier than ever for listeners of this show to do just that with a special offer. For 20% off, go visit storyworth.com forward slash CTDN for an amazing discount just in time for Father's Day and to let the folks at StoryWorth know that Steve Taylor and Chilling Tales for Dark Nights sent you. Again, that's storyworth.com forward slash CTDN to get 20% off your subscription. Once you give them a try, send us an email and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear about how StoryWorth is helping you get closer to those special people in your life and keep the art of storytelling alive for generations to come. Now that we've shared the secret to storytelling with all of you in our listening audience and provided you with a surefire way to put a smile on your loved one's faces, allow me to do a 180 and take a terrifying turn down the moonlit trail where we're about to explore a narrative with far more nefarious intentions and wipe that grin of false security right off. As brought to life by voice actress Erica Garafa from author Melissa Phillips, I present to you The Girl in the Log. I always hated visiting my grandpa's old cabin. That might make me seem spoiled or ungrateful. What kid doesn't enjoy seeing her grandpa? Especially considering he was the only grandparent I had ever known. Both of my mom's parents were killed in a car accident before I was born, and my dad's mom walked out on him when he was very young. He still doesn't know where she is, or if she's even alive. So, that only leaves my paternal grandfather. My parents desperately wanted me to have a good relationship with him. My dad insisted that, although Grandpa was stern and quiet, he really did love me. He just didn't know how to express it. I figured that was probably true, but it didn't change the fact that trips to his house were filled with idle hours watching television and reading while he worked during the day, followed by awkwardly silent dinners in the evenings. I rarely saw him, and he seldom spoke in any loving way. He just kept a wary eye on me, like he was waiting for me to break something of his or talk out of line. Still, my parents insisted on sending me to spend a week with him every summer since I was ten, old enough to look after myself for the day. I had visited his isolated cabin in the woods several times before with my parents, but this would be the first time I stayed overnight by myself. There were no kids my age around, or neighbors of any age for that matter, so I would have to pass the time by myself. This may sound awful for a ten-year-old girl, but I was used to being alone. I was an only child and was always a bit of an introvert. Truthfully, I knew I probably wouldn't be able to make new friends even if I had the option. So, on my first day at the cabin, I set out into the woods with a Nancy Drew book tucked under my arm to find a peaceful area to read. 
away from the musty old person smell of the cabin. After walking for a while, I found a little clearing illuminated by the sun breaking through the trees. Pushed against a large oak and surrounded by pretty flowers was a large hollow log. The whole scene reminded me of a place where the characters in my stories would have their adventures, so I decided to make this little clearing my own special spot for the next six days. I plunked myself onto the center of the log, leaned against the trunk of the oak tree, and began to read, thinking that I might be able to enjoy my week here after all. I was incredibly comfortable in my new place. The smell of the flowers, the hum of the insects around me, and the gentle breeze soon had me drifting to sleep, content with the feeling of nature. The wonder was gone when I suddenly awoke hours later to find that the sun had set. The moonlight cast eerie shadows on the ground. The trees that felt so welcoming during the day were spooky silhouettes against the darkness, bending and snapping in the wind. The insect's pleasant buzz was replaced with a distant howl and the low hoot of a nearby owl. The dry leaves scraped across the forest floor beside me with a rustle that chilled me to the bone. I sat up on the log, rubbing my eyes and attempting to clear my sleep-fogged mind. Just as I was realizing the trouble I would surely be in for coming home so late, I heard it. To my left, at the end of the log, I heard a voice say two words. Hello, Ella. I froze. I have never felt so cold, so vulnerable. There was something wrong with that voice. It was too creaky, too low, too dry. I heard the leaves scrape across the ground again, but I felt no more wind. The air was oddly still. The realization suddenly hit me that this creepy rustling noise was not leaves. It was the low, raspy giggle of whoever had spoken. They were laughing. Laughing at me. Slowly, I turned to the source of the awful laugh and felt my blood freeze at the sight beside me. A little girl crouched at the end of the log, her cracked and bloody fingernails scraping the dark wood. Her hair was probably blonde, but it was also slick with dark red blood, pouring from the horrible gash on the side of her head. The blood trickled onto her gray, bruised face. Her eyes were bloodshot, as though she had been crying for hours, maybe even days. But I could only assume she eventually ran out of tears and decided instead to smile. Oh God, that smile. A grin stretched unnaturally wide on her bruised face, clashing with the sadness of her eyes, giving her the look of one who has truly gone insane. Her teeth were mostly stained with blood, but the parts that were not shone white, bright white. She continued to giggle, but did not part her teeth. She giggled through them, and stretched that grin even more as she watched me. She sprang from her crouched position on the ground and perched beside me on the log. The movement was so sudden that I clambered back, crashing onto the soft ground and staring in wide-eyed terror at the thing above me. She giggled louder at my terror, sounding like the static on a phone, and tilted her head to the left as she observed me. She tilted it so far that I could swear I heard her bones cracking before she spoke. You're scared, she said. Grin never wavering, head still tilted. 
It was not a question, but I could somehow tell that she wanted a response. I tried to speak, but all that escaped was a pitiful squeak. And then I did what any child would do. What most adults would probably do in this situation. I peed myself. The creature noticed, her awful eyes observing the growing darkness on my jeans and let out a hiss of delight. Good, it said. At this point, my mind finally gained control of my body, and I managed to get up and run. I got back to the path and was out of there. The girl didn't chase me. She stayed perched on that log like some gruesome bird and continued to laugh. I couldn't get away from that laugh. It didn't get quiet as I ran. On the contrary, it continued to get louder and louder the closer I got to my grandpa's cabin. Only when I reached the yard did it start to fade. By the time I threw open the door to the house, it was only a whisper. Once I raced through the living room, down the hall, and into my bedroom, it was barely audible. Just before it faded completely away, I heard it say one more thing. So softly, I wasn't certain I'd heard it correctly. Better lock the door. And it was gone. No whisper, no laugh. I turned on the light switch and slammed the bedroom door, leaning against it to catch my breath. Where have you been? A gruff voice demanded from behind me. I spun around, thinking for one horrible second that the creature had followed me home, and breathed a sigh of relief when I saw my grandpa kneeling beside my bed. I began to stutter about dead little girls and chilling grins and evil laughs. My grandpa rolled his eyes and cut me off before I'd formed one coherent sentence. Whatever, I don't care, he grumbled, climbing to his feet. Enough excuses, you're home now but know that you won't get off easy next time. No crazy ghost stories will help if this happens again. I was devastated. He didn't believe me. Of course he didn't. What adult would? Definitely none like my mean old grandpa. Something smells, he griped, wrinkling his nose and glaring at me. What's all over your pants? Oh, right. I, uh, I wet myself. I admitted quietly, blushing at my shoes. When I got scared... Ugh! Grandpa groaned, disgusted. I thought you were old enough to be done with that sick crap. Clean up and get to bed. I'm not going through this every night. My loving grandfather then stomped out of the room, ignoring my apologies, and slammed the door. Great guy, that gramps of mine. Admitting defeat, I changed into my nightgown and clean panties putting the soiled ones in the washer. I felt better. As mean as my grandpa could be, he's still an adult who I knew would protect me from whatever was in the woods. After all, the giggling had stopped once I reached the bedroom. I felt safe there. Until I went to bed. Still on the edge, I left the lights on and read a funny book to calm me down. I was beginning to drift off, feeling safe and warm. When I heard the dry raspy voice say the words I would never forget. You didn't lock the door, Ella. I shot straight up and looked at the window. There she was, both hands pressed against the glass, grinning that awful grin, the wild red eyes looking from me to the door, the unlocked door. The giggle was mocking me, celebrating that she would win even though she gave me a head start. She continued to laugh as I flew from the bed to the door and locked it. As I heard the satisfying click, I heard her croak. Never forget. 
It stopped. She was no longer at the window. The raspy chuckle was not heard. I didn't go back to the woods that week. I stayed in the house to watch the news and read. Boring was good. Boring was safe. I locked my bedroom door every night, and every night I woke up to that rattle of someone trying to get inside my room. The doorknob would shake loudly as the creature would grow frustrated with its resistance. The banging against the strong wooden door would shake my bed. I never moved nor made a sound. I waited for her to give up, which she would. The shaking would stop, and I would hear low, deep breaths just outside the door. Sometimes the breathing would cease after a few moments, and sometimes it would follow me into my dreams. But it was always gone in the morning. Years went by. I continued visiting my grandpa for one week during every summer, and I continued to spend those days indoors. Locking the door became a ritual, and I knew to expect the rattling as the creature tried to get me. It no longer fazed me. Part of the reason for my lack of fear was that I knew that the thing couldn't get past my door for whatever reason, but I also wasn't afraid because I was fascinated. The incident had sparked an interest in the paranormal. I was no longer a frightened child. I was a know-it-all teenager. I wanted to know more about the ghoulish girl. Who was she? How did she know my name? Why did she tell me exactly how to escape her? There came a point where my curiosity outweighed my fear. I had a chance to encounter something few people ever will. I could find answers other people would never find. That is why, when I was fifteen, I made the decision to unlock the door and confront the spirit. I was an idiot. The first night of my stay that summer, I got ready for bed and closed the door, resisting the natural urge to lock it. I tried to ignore the heavy dread that settled on me as I climbed into bed. I had made up my mind. I would no longer be a scared little girl. So I waited. I had no intentions to sleep that night. I pulled out my iPad and played some games, alert to every creak and groan of the old house. It was close to midnight when I heard them. Footsteps, coming toward my room. This was it. I froze. Goosebumps all over my body my heart pounding out of my chest. I set my iPad aside and watched the door that protected me for so long. The doorknob slowly turned. I held my breath. The door was opening. This all happened in just a few seconds, but it felt like hours. The door was completely open now, revealing a larger silhouette than I expected. I fumbled for the lamp next to my bed, grabbed the thin chain and tugged. Light flooded the room to reveal... My grandpa... I laughed. I couldn't help it. The relief was overpowering. There was nothing to fear. My disappointment that I would not discover the secrets of the dead was pushed aside by the sheer joy that I was safe. No dead girl stood before me. It was only my grandpa, smiling at me in a way that he never has before as he stepped into my room. Grandpa, you scared me, I laughed, pushing my hair back with shaking hands. You left the door unlocked for me, he noted, smiling warmly and closing the door softly behind him. Yeah, I did. I couldn't stop laughing at my own foolishness for leaving it locked for so long. I knew you'd come around, pretty girl, my grandpa whispered, sitting beside me and tucking a strand of hair behind my ear. I knew I just had to be patient for you. 
Um, what was he talking about? I could have unlocked it myself, he continued. I have the key, of course. I thought many times about using it, but I resisted. I knew I had to give you the choice to let me in. It's more special that way. I knew you'd come around. This wasn't my grandpa. My grandpa was strict and never smiled. He never had a kind word to say. My grandpa doesn't sit on the bed and touch my hair. And he certainly doesn't run his hand up my thigh like he's doing right now. Stop it! I cried, slapping his hand away and jumping out of the bed. What are you doing? A flicker of surprise passed his face quickly before he relaxed back into that sickly sweet smile. Honey, I won't hurt you. Just come back to bed and we'll take it easy. This wasn't happening. This couldn't be happening. I felt like I was going to vomit. I wanted something paranormal, something otherworldly, but this... This was real. Far too real. Shy all of a sudden? The man on my bed asked, chuckling. Allow me to break the ice, then. With that, he grabbed my hand and pinned me onto his lap before I had a chance to react. With surprising strength, he squeezed my arms to my side and silenced my cries with a crushing kiss. No, no, no! Summoning all my strength, I broke away from him and tore out of the room. I heard his surprised yelp and his pounding footsteps as he quickly chased after me, but I didn't look back. I hurried out of the cabin. Ghost or no ghost, I was heading for the woods. I wasn't sure where I was going to go or what to do. I just ran as fast as I could, my grandfather right on my heels, cursing and screeching that I would regret this. I ran, hoping there would be a house on the other side of the woods, or maybe he would trip and break something, or maybe he would grow tired and give up. I didn't know. We reached the clearing where I had met the little girl five years earlier, and I was struck with an insane idea. I'm not sure what I expected to happen. I just knew that my grandpa was threatening and I was desperate to stop him. I raced to the old log and fell to my hands and knees, peering into the hollow darkness within. Help! I screamed, my panicked voice echoing back to me. Please help! It was unlocked! The door was... Two strong hands grabbed my shoulders and whirled me around. I was looking into the face of the lunatic I once called Grandpa. His eyes rolled wildly in his head. His thin white hair stuck out at odd angles, and his mouth was twisted into a furious snarl. Panting and heaving, his red face was full of hatred and contempt for me. I saw no love there, no mercy. You, he wheezed, are going to regret... He stopped. I heard something move behind me, and his eyes widened in terror as he gaped over my shoulder. With a scream, he pushed me away and jumped back. I fell on my butt and backed away, turning toward my savior. Her skin was still gray and her wound was still bleeding. That impossibly wide grin was still plastered across her bruised cheeks. Her eyes, however, were no longer sad. They glowed triumphantly as she approached my whimpering grandfather. Y you he stammered, falling backwards and attempting to scramble away, seemingly unable to break eye contact with the dead girl. She chuckled as she watched his horror, giggled louder when he let out a painful cry and clutched his chest, giggled louder still as he fell to his side, clawing at his heart. 
laughed harder and louder than ever when he turned his head toward the night sky, the life fading from his eyes. I squeezed my eyes shut, my back against a tree, and prayed for it to end soon. It did. The girl's laugh faded away, whispering one last message. Goodbye, Ella. The next day I called the police to let them know that I had gone for a hike that morning, only to stumble upon the corpse of my beloved grandpa. Some nice officers arrived to comfort me and to get my statement before driving me home. Cause of death was a heart attack. Some people thought it was odd that he had been in the woods when he died, but no one questioned too much. It wasn't unheard of for him to take late-night walks. I didn't tell my parents what happened. I didn't think there would be a point. It would only cause more pain. He was dead. That was all that mattered. I even went to help them clean out his old cabin. I was tasked with boxing up the books. As I pulled an old photo album off the shelf, I managed to let it slip through my fingers and hit the floor, sending poorly secured photos flying everywhere. Cursing my clumsiness, I bent down to gather them all. I picked up the photo closest to my feet and froze. It was her, sitting on the porch of my house, holding a baby and grinning a wide grin that was much more pleasant when it matched her eyes. Her skin was creamy white and her cheeks were rosy. No wound spilled blood onto her beautiful blonde hair, but there was no doubt. This was the grinning girl that I had feared for so long. I hollered for my father and asked who she was. Looking at the photo, he paused for a long moment as tears filled his eyes. Well, the baby is you, and the girl holding you. She's your sister, Abby. He looked at me with a sad smile. Sorry, kiddo, he said softly. We weren't trying to hide her from you or anything. It's just difficult to talk about. She died when she was ten. You were barely a year old. We should have told you all of this sooner, but we weren't sure how to go about it. At some point, I guess we just decided to let it go, figuring it would come up when the time was right. I could hardly register what he was saying. I heard myself ask how she died. She was playing in these woods out here, running around and having fun when she tripped, banged her head on a log and died instantly. She was found in the same general area they found my dad. At these words, he broke down into fresh tears. I comforted him numbly knowing I would never tell him what I knew in my heart. He need never question his idea that his daughter was playing happily before she died. It would be cruel to tell him that Abby died running away in terror of the man that he called Dad. Nor would he ever know how long her spirit lingered in that place, unable to rest in peace until she warned the sister she knew so briefly of the danger, only leaving once the monster was dead. Looking at the photograph of the smiling girl who held me so securely in her arms, I could only think of two words as my eyes filled with tears. Thanks, sis. I hope you enjoyed The Girl in the Log by Melissa Phillips, as performed by Erica Garafa. If you enjoyed what you heard tonight, we'd like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, 
ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, StoryWorth, for their support of this show. Don't forget, as a listener, you can get 20% off your subscription to their amazing service by visiting StoryWorth.com forward slash CTDN. Again, that's StoryWorth.com forward slash CTDN to get 20% off your subscription just in time for Father's Day. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. (laughs) Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.